I'm Jerry Ratcliffe with ReducingCrime.com, a podcast featuring interviews with influential thinkers in the police service and leading crime and policing researchers working to advance public safety. The Danish National Police have been transitioning to a more intelligence-led approach to policing, and in this episode I get an update from Programme Manager Jacob Lindegaard Benson on their successes and challenges to date. Find out more at ReducingCrime.com and on Twitter at underscore ReducingCrime. Jacob Lindegaard Benson started his policing career 15 years ago as a patrol officer on the streets of Copenhagen. After serving as an investigator, prevention officer and in a tactical unit, he joined the Danish National Police as an operational analyst and as an instructor in operational intelligence analysis training in Europol and CPOL. Later, Jacob became the program manager and senior advisor for the Danish intelligence-led policing project. In this role, he supports, coordinates, and arranges analysis training activities across Denmark, and he hosts several large analysis seminars each year. I chatted to Jacob after a day-long analysts conference he hosted in Copenhagen in March 2018. We discussed the challenges of promoting and supporting intelligence-led policing, the complexity of the modern detective role, and how to staff and sustain an analysis unit. We even used the one word that you weren't allowed to use in the Danish police until a couple of years ago. It's all good. I probably make a lot of language mistakes and stuff like that, but is that all right? Can it's you can you uh, cut in it and all that? Is it a one take? It, yeah, your English is terrible. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are some technical terms sometimes. You know how it is. Oh, you know what you're talking about. Good yeah. God, your English is better than... Uh, I was about to say some of my undergraduate students, but then yeah, some of them might tune into this and listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, nobody's gonna, none of them going to listen to this. So you were an operational police officer. And now you find yourself managing this national project to bring intelligence-led policing into Denmark. Right. How does that feel? It feels good. It feels uh, I'm humble about the work that I'm doing here, the people that I'm working with. It's a lot of work. It's a journey for Danish police. You know, We started this back in 2012 by introducing this new intelligence-led way of doing policing. But then suddenly something happened in 14 and everybody forgot about it again. Right, and then back in in fifteen, we uh, start talking about intelligence policing. I start introducing your book. Start talking to people. I was an analyst at that time, working big cases in South America, working big cases with DA and there's flying squad in Denmark. And there is a really bad synergy between the analyst and the de- the detectives. How, how long have, how long have there been analysts in Denmark then? The last ten years. Okay, mainly on the intelligence side, but not in the day to day policing. Well, there's always been some, some kind of analyst there, but it's, if you need a, a plan for, let's say, you plan a demonstration, you ask that office, all right, what can we do? How many police officers do we need there? It's not like they do the analysis and say, all right, I don't think there's a threat, so don't send, only send five. Mm-hmm. They do what they don't always, just said, send 100. So it was very tactical. It's, it was very tactical. It still is at some level and some degree, but we come far. We came far from 2012 till today. You had a room full of analysts, over 100 analysts today. That seems to be a, a, a big change as well. You seem to be increasing the numbers as well. Yeah, we, uh, we just hired 40 new analysts here in Denmark. What are the challenges for taking on new analysts? Where do you need to focus their training, their education? I mean, if you're, you're really kind of pushing this almost from scratch. We have a lot of challenges with that because what we decided, to, people were shooting each other in the streets of Copenhagen. So what the politicians did was, all right, what political steps can we do to actually 
face this issue. Ah, we can hire some analysts. We do that. So we hired 40 analysts, no training, get them into their, their departments and start doing analysis. So that's where we're at right now. We have a lot of good people, no training. That sounds awfully familiar to quite <laughs> a few uh, police departments right. that are happy to invest, you know, they get the position, yeah. but then there's a huge amount of training. Can you think about the skill set that's required from an analyst? Right. We need spatial analysis, we need database skills, we need other forms of critical thinking. Yeah. There's a huge and varied skill set that we have to try and, you know, how to work with decision makers. It's just a huge skill set. It is, it is. I mean, luckily we are engaging with uh, Cambridge University, we sent a lot of people there right now mm -hmm. to, to learn about evidence-based policing. We just did a new initiative with uh, UCL. Oh yeah, uh, with, with Spencer, Spencer Cheney. Spencer Cheney's yep. department. I mean, we're moving forward in the right direction, but it's a journey, it's new. People are just learning about evidence-based policing. They're just learning about what does it mean? What, what is intelligence policing? And what is, I mean, what is properly into policing? They don't know. It's all new. I think certainly with intelligence-led and evidence-based policing, there's probably quite a few people who are in the same boat just trying to figure out what does it mean and how can it help us? I mean, and then we initiated this, uh, this project that I'm running right now, the ILP project. I mean, intelligence-led policing project. Yep. Yeah. It shouldn't be a project, it should be a mindset. But, you know, it was actually when I invited you to Denmark in 2016. I heard you first in 2015 in Manchester. You didn't see me, I saw you. I'm like, all right. I see everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want this guy to Denmark because he's, he's nailing it all the time. I mean, you, you're just so, such a good speaker. That's, just, that's a rumor. Okay, let's not <laughs> spread that too much. I want, you, I want you to come and influence the Danish audience on intelligence policing. Well, people have been very, seem to have been very receptive and it's been great to come back again. But beyond the sort of audiences that will turn up to this here, to some degree of the choir that they're getting preached yeah. to. What are the challenges you've been facing in terms of getting management and getting leadership to adopt intelligence-led policing sort of in the rest of the system outside of Copenhagen, for example? Big question. I think that is the next step. The next step is actually to influence the decisions making more than what we're doing now. We do have people coming over and do presentation, and that is, of course, not enough. We do need training. They need to understand because, I mean, a lot of people don't know what intelligence-led policing is. Right. They know what intelligence is, they know what leadership, and they know what police, but they don't understand that it's policing. They know what the individual words mean, they put the th they figure because it's, they're all together, they know what they are, but it's not really the same thing at all. I think what we're doing is that we are putting really good people in front of these people and telling them what is it. And it's not just a fancy boss word, it's actually quite simple and I think they start to get it now and we hosted this big chief symposium in January for all commissioners in Denmark and we had Spencer Mark Evans from New Zealand police, mm -hmm. Stephen Brown from Australia police here and they did a fabulous job of actually talking to them, you know, talking to them as a cop, as a Stephen Brown is a cop, well Mark is not, but Mark speaks for himself. He has a, he has a very related and fascinating background. So some of these initiatives are actually pushing Denmark in the right direction, I think. And it been well received? Yeah, but we need to keep pushing. Is there any uh, imperative to drive that change? Uh, the crime situation in Denmark, how is that? The crime situation in Denmark right now, crime is decreasing, but cybercrime is just going up to the sky. And uh, there's a lot of numbers that we don't get. You know, every third Danish person have been attacked by some kind of cyber attack. So there are so many figures we don't know. So the dynamics of crime are changing and you're trying to find new ways of approaching those. You know, we trained some detective leaders. They were like, 
we can't do this anymore. We don't have the skills as detectives. We need analysts. We need intelligence analysts. We need crime analysts to help us. And we need those different disciplines, if you wish, to work together with us. And that is something that, that is new. I've never heard that before, you know, from a detective. I was once a detective. I'm like, all right, I know what I'm doing. You know, that old thing. Things are changing. Mindsets are changing. And I think that this ILP project we're running now is not, I mean, it's not because of that, but it's have a tiny part of it. Intelligence led policing and evidence-based policing have really grown in the English-speaking countries. And of course, Denmark being a very educated population where everybody seems to speak English brilliantly, are able to pick up on that. Now, I know you've worked also in other parts of Europe and traveled within Europol. Have you found that there is the same level of interest or is there a gulf in Europe in terms of embracing some of these ideas about where policing is going? I think talking to many people throughout Europe, they are not there yet, to be quite honest. Some are, of course, but I think, I mean, Sweden and Norway, there's, I mean, Norway have done a fantastic job of doing a lot of documents, writing their doctrine and all that, but implementing it. That is an issue, and you, they have a really hard time in Norway doing that. Germany, Spain, they are still, I'm not saying we are ahead of them, but they are still trying to pick up on some of these things coming out of the UK, New Zealand, Australia, United States. Well, I think Mark Evans once said that he estimated it took somewhere from start to really sort of embedding intelligence-led policing took about five years. And that was with a fairly concerted effort to move it forward, and it's well-resourced. So it's interesting that you know, we're, if you're looking at some of the European police departments or European countries, if they're not there yet, it's going to still take them some time. You could be leading the way in terms of certainly Scandinavia. and yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think, I mean, just looking at the UK, you know, what the, inter the intelligence model came out in, what, 2001? Still struggling, 2017, and they, I mean, they had a budget cut of 20%. And a massive budget cut, huge austerity, and they cut huge numbers of police officers, but also a, a significant number of analysts as yeah. well. And I mean, what we're facing in Denmark now is, is also the fact that, that we are, we are losing cops. I mean, the number of cops going, I mean, we just, we have, what, like 600 less cops than in 2011. Is this by attrition or budget cuts? We are, we're hiring civilians right now. And we just had a, some issues with that we don't have manpower enough. So what you're doing, what, what you're facing in Denmark right now is that you have a lot of civilians hired in the district as analysts, but you also have policemen. So we are, we are lacking resources and we are training these guys to be good analysts. We're training them to, to make a difference as an analyst. And then you're actually sending them down to the border to check passports, you know. Oh. That's another issue. And I can just see in my department, five years ago, I was the geek because I was the only one having a degree. Today, there's almost no cops. If you only have a master's degree, you're, you're mediocre. They all have PhD in my eye, you know. It's, it's different. Things are changing. So you're really getting smart people into police, which is a really, really good thing. I'm working with really smart people, but we also need policemen, that synergy, you know yeah. what I mean? So you've got a big change in personnel. This must be a dramatic shift for, especially mid to senior level commanders who have had to move from how it was always done right. to where we are now. And that is, that is the big problem. And that is where we are right now. And I, I ask you today, at your presentation, in the end of your presentation, what would your recommendation to us, and, in, and that is focus on them, that level of decision making. I think you're right. The next stage for many places to go is we've raised the level of analysis, but I think the next stage is to certainly think about 
mid-level and senior level training or education or seminars to get them up to the level of the understanding the, the newer approaches to smart policing uh, that, that are being instigated in many places. Yeah. What are the challenges that your analysts are facing because they're at the vanguard moving forward with these changes. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges that they're finding out in the districts outside of Copenhagen or at the national level? I think some of the issues that we have right now is that, of course, we get all these new analysts. They need to be trained. But what we also is doing is that we hire all these new people and then we train them. But we actually do have a lot of analysts that have been there for 20 years and they only had that training they had 20 years ago so and we don't upgrade that training for them because we look at the new ones you know what i mean yeah and so so that's that's some of the issues that we need to train the new ones but we also need to train the old ones yeah and then of course you get the whole dilemma of you have the civilians you have the policemen that culture clash or whatever you want to call it. it's it's getting better and i think that just three or four years ago how it was is it how is it getting better what do you think are the mechanisms to actually help improve that actually trying to help some other civilians come into police not using too many fancy words for detectives you know the the one word you're not allowed to say in Danish police two or three years ago was a hypothesis and I talked to Spencer Cheney about that because they had that those same issues in the UK I don't know if you had that in the US as well but it's the normal way of talking when you're academia but getting into police and saying, okay, I think you need that hypothesis, that hypothesis, the competing hypothesis, all that, all that wording. Chief Constable Sarah Thornton in the UK once said, policing is the only field where the term clever isn't a compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've Spot been... on. I was helping you do some training yesterday. And what was really nice is we had a room full of mid-level detectives and investigators who were in leadership positions. And that was really nice to see because I, I think in a lot of places, the investigative arm gets left out of some of these initiatives. Mm -hmm. It's overly focused on patrol. Um, have you found challenges in integrating um, some of the detective side of things, which have t who tend to be very individual case focused into this sort of broader mandate of intelligence-led policing to make it more about resource allocation and big picture thinking? I think that's somewhere we're not even at yet to start initiative towards that group of people. You know, what we did yesterday, what you did yesterday was some of the first steps towards that group of policemen. We have been focusing so much on analysts. Have you had resistance then from investigators? Lots, lots of resistance. And I think some of this is because they're afraid of their job, because they're afraid of actually what should they do now? Because analysts get into their field. They know more and more about policing. They, Policing is getting more and more complicated. I know it's, it's not just a cliche. It is getting more complicated. It's getting more complica complicated being a detective, an investigator. So some of those skills they don't have anymore. So they ask analysts to come in. I think it's, it's a little bit of fear of losing their field a little bit, if you know what I mean. Well, they, have, they often have a great deal of experience, but unfortunately, I think, or, or fortunately, what I perceived from some of them is more and more decisions are open to being questioned because we have much more open data and open information. Yeah. And now commanders in, command staff in Copenhagen can look at the cases they've chosen and how they've worked them. There's a lot more scrutiny available with more access to data. Yeah. And so what used to be an experience-based decision now is open for being questioned. It is, it is. I think we've seen that. 
But we also have to be careful because, you know, you know those guys being a detective for 30 years and then you hire a really smart analyst just out of university coming up and saying, you know, I think you should go that way in your, in your, in your I mean, just giving too many recommendations on where to go. That is a very dangerous path to go down because they, they bury a lot of culture, these heavy detectives. So we need to be very humble when we approach them. But I do think we are, we have hired some good people, some good personalities. Because when I was in, in the UK last year, I, I brought all my chiefs there, well, seven or eight of them, really high-ranked uh, commissioner, assistant commissioners, to go and talk to Metropolitan Police about who should be hired. So I went and I visited Spencer, but also visited people from Met and from NCA, yeah, National Crime Agency. And when I talked to, to someone at, at Met, they said, all right, in the last two or three years, we have lost 90% of our civilian analysts because they get tired of it. They just want to go somewhere else. So when we go get back to Denmark, you're like, all right, we need to hire 45 new analysts or 40. But also, what are you going to do to retain them? Exactly. So, yeah. But the first thing and their recommendation was look at their personality. So we have actually done that because they all have really nice college degrees, you know. So let's start looking at, all right, are you humble? Can you talk to people? Can you go into a group and say, all right, I think what you're saying is really good, but maybe we should try this instead of saying, you know, you're going the wrong way. Tone is everything. It is. Because you're not forcing, of course, it's, and it's on both sides. I think the, the, the leadership also have to understand that just because they receive a recommendation doesn't force them to take it. But it provides options for them. But of course, it's how finding that and striking that tone just to get it right. Right. That was good advice then from the Met. It was. It was. And we haven't lost anyone yet of those new analysts. But we'll see. We just hosted the Police Chief Symposium in January here in Denmark, where Mark Evans from New Zealand Police, he was here. And his advice was, Jacob, you need a plan. I mean, he, he could see that we're doing a lot of good things in Denmark. And it's very similar to what they have been doing in New Zealand the last seven years. Right but you need a plan. He didn't quote Mike Tyson then, who said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> no, he didn't, but he should. You know, I'll bring that back to my office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you need a plan, you need a strategy. And that is something that we just got the mandate to come up with a draft on a strategy and a plan for Danish police 2025. Great. But you don't do that overnight. No, you don't. And, and I think you have to be realistic that I think General Molke said in the first world war, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Right. But if you have a plan, at least you have a, a goal. And if you get part of the way there, that's better than kind of aimlessly trying to reach the target. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and you said yesterday, you know, learn from the best. Learn from experience. Talk to people from New Zealand. Talk to people from Australia. With you, with Spencer, all these people that I know because you have been around. That, that's just a rumor on the internet. <laughs> if you could focus on developing three broad areas, if you could just do three things, what would you like to see happen? In Danish police, as a, I would like to see that, of course, the highest management get an understanding of what's going on in the district that we are using our resources wrong. Okay. So, so start looking at the start resources. Start the leadership side and the yeah. use of resources. Yeah. We need to start looking, all right, why are we sending analysts down to the border to check passport when they need to do analysis? Yeah. Right. Then we need to start at looking at training, training, training. Training is expensive, but what is the price of ignorance? I can't remember who said that, but someone said that. I one think time. you just did. Yeah. But that is, that, that is something that we need to put take into uh, consideration in Denmark. And then I think we need to have a more holistic view of Danish police as a, as a whole. Because, I mean, we can't just look at patrol officers 
detective analyst, we need to look at Danish police as a whole as an organization that needs to be more intelligence-led. Well, that also makes sense in terms of the other initiatives. You know, I speak about Believe the Hype, HIP. As we move forward, we need to be harm-focused, intelligence-led, problem-oriented, and evidence-based. And it's not just intelligence-led policing, but also harm-focused, because that's a big change in policing that's taking place. It is. You talked about the absence of intelligence-led policing and the smart policing in some of the other countries in continental Europe at the moment. If they were here now, what would be the best advice you could give them? I mean, I have some very good friends in Sweden that I work a lot with, train with them in Europol and CEPOL. And uh, my advice to them will be that they need to to make a plan on building a project that actually initiate some of these initiatives that we have done in Denmark. That standard policing model that you are running in Sweden as, as we speak right now, because they are they are really not very intelligence-led in Sweden right now. Uh, They'll be so pleased to hear you say that. <laughs> You need to start looking at how you how you go about doing your business, you know, and how you're using your resources. And I know they have a lot of issues in Sweden, migration situation, all they've that. Got so some, they've got some significant crime problems going they on do, right they now. They do, and yeah. it's getting worse and worse and worse. That is why they need to look at this now, and they need to make a plan and see how they're using their resources because they are in much worse shape than we are, okay. and they have more policemen, but they're not using it right. We're not either, but we're on the right path, I think. If you had any last thoughts on this area, what would they be? Thank you for having me on. Oh, it was no. fun. And uh, if you could give me an advice, because you've been traveling the world, what, what, what would your advice be to Danish police? I think you've got some great people. I think you're on the right track. I agree with Mark. I think there's a need for a plan. But along with training analysts, along with having a plan to functionally get there, it's so necessary to also add to that. Always keep reminding people why, why we're on this path and why there's a necessity to take us there. Mm. Um, because it's easy to slip back into old ways. But my, my advice always is worth precisely what you're paying for it. <laughs> Jacob, it's been great chatting to you and you uh, good luck with everything you're doing here in Denmark. Thank you. That interview with Jacob Lindegaard Benson was episode 3 of Reducing Crime, recorded in March 2018. You can find more podcasts like this at reducingcrime.com or wherever you found this. New podcasts are announced on Twitter at underscore reducing crime. Don't forget the underscore. Be safe and best of luck. Mm-hmm.